Hey everyone, Christos Anesti. Alifos Anesti. When I can't hear you. Alifos Anesti. Hello? I want to hear muted. Alifos Anesti. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Alma. <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, all right, I just want to say sorry in advance because I am not um, I'm not feeling well. This is my um, my bad season. So things start to go awry. So if my energy wanes from week to week, um, um, it's not because I... It's not because I hate you all. Um, it's, it's just because I hate myself right now. Um, uh, what's it called? So, when are there any, I, should I just start? Were there announcements? I forgot what we usually do. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, before we read the chapter, so we're back in, in, in Romans. So, Christos Nisti, to those who are just popping in. Um, like I said, um, sorry for being low energy. Uh, just pray for me to feel better. Um, but Romans 8 is a good place to be because um, also I won't be making as much eye contact today because my printer ran out of ink, so I have to look at my screen more. Um, I see some of you have your cameras on, thank you. Those of you who are willing to turn them on, I hate my own camera being on with all my heart, but it makes it less awkward that I'm not talking to myself. Thank you guys. <laughs> um, you all rock, then I just, I feel less weird. Um, so before, oh, Mina Mika from Montreal. Um, sorry, oh, one second. The esteemed man himself. I just need to make him co-host. Okay. So Romans 8 is the last um, uh, part of this section of Romans. And it actually is really good timing because Romans 8 is almost like the, not almost, it's, it's the proclamation of the gospel, essentially. Um, so remember that uh, St. Paul wrote his letters before the written gospels came out. Um, and so in, in a way, these were their own gospels, not in a way that they really were. He's proclaiming the good news. He's just doing it in a different way than, than the gospel writers did. The gospel writers were looking at um, a specific narrative for the memorial of what happened, whereas where St. Paul is doing something differently. So I will recap as was requested um to do every time i think it's helpful it actually makes me learn the epistles better when i have to or or anything better when i have to list what every chapter was about because then it it commits to memory a little a little bit better so it's also been like three weeks now since we since we met because of pascha and 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 my holidays um so we said the overall theme of the epistle is you have St. Paul who's setting up shop in, in, in Rome. He hasn't gone yet. He's dealing with a few things at once. He's dealing with 
Gentiles who don't like Jews, Jews who don't like Gentiles, both think they're better than the other. Um, he's dealing with um, a population that is really under the influence of Roman propaganda, um, of how great Rome is and the Pax Romana um, and, and all that lovely stuff. I won't get into all of that. And so he's writing um, about all of these, to, with all of this in mind, to say, oh, sorry, and one more group, people who are, who are going before and after him to say anything Paul tells you, it's messed up. So he's trying to deal with all of these things all, all at once. So the way that St. Paul has framed this letter so far is he's been building up to saying, what is this good news that we believe in that should make a difference to how you guys live in Rome? And um, we live in Rome today. <laughs> like a lot of whatever was culturally Rome, I think is, 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 is the same as today. Rome might have been worse in some respects. But um, so in the first chapter, he was getting, he's saying, okay, we all start off good, but um, there are people who were not in, they, they, they weren't faithful to God, they didn't love God, and they, they, they forsook God. Those are the Gentiles, and so, <laughs> make Rome great again. Um, so the Gentiles, um, they suck in chapter one. That's St. Paul's message. <laughs> in chapter two, he talks about how the Jews fell short too, how they, how they managed to suck as well. In chapter three, he's saying, okay, well, the, the, the person of Christ is the one who makes everything good again, right? That we are able to be um, made alive in Christ, we're able to be unified in Christ again. Uh, to, to the Father, we're reconciled, we're made right with God through the person of the Lord. Um, chapter four, um, I'm just gonna zoom through it so we can get to the content because this chapter is heavy, I warn you in advance. Um, chapter four was saying, aha, here's Abraham, here's proof. Um, that it works. Uh, Romans 5 was a really pivotal chapter because in Romans 5, um, St. Paul started, that started the second section of chapters 5 through 8 that we're ending today. So started the section of saying, so how were we made right? Um, and so in chapter 5, he talked about how it was the cross um, that did that. In Romans 6, he got into um, how specifically we have to participate. The only way we can participate is if we join in the work of Christ through our death and resurrection. That was the baptism chapter, okay? Um, and, and the Eucharist. That one was so important. Um, and he, he took us in chapter six to address two new, two, two side issues, okay, that are going to come up a little bit. Right, is that he was he asked, okay, now that we're freed from the law and that we're freed from sin, that we're freed from our from our, our current our previous state, we're free from the guidelines to use the analogies we were using before. He answered two important questions of um so should we do whatever we want? Because we can. Um and that these were the chapters of his constant, absolutely not. Um, responses. And the second question he dealt with there was, well, can we do anything we want 
now that we're free from the law? Those were the two things he dealt with, which I think are big, important questions. And then Romans 7, he brought it home to say, how can you see, and he went through the whole story, right? He went through Adam, right? And how it started in the garden. And he, he, he talked about the cosmological picture, the, the, the big picture. And then in chapter seven, he brought it back to us on a personal level of saying, where, where do you see this story in your personal life? Okay, and that's what, what we did last time in chapter seven was, was where am I seeing it play out in, in me? So Romans 8, um, Mary Morgan, I have your face in my mind because if you thought chapter one was bad with the terminology, <laughs> Romans 8 isn't going to be heavy on the terminology, but Romans 8 is very heavy thematically. Um, and God willing, we're going to get through it. I think that Romans, Romans 8 is one of these really dangerous chapters that if you pull it <clears throat> on its own, by itself, out of context, without looking at the rest of the epistle, um, you can make it mean a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but Romans 8 is actually a lot more simple than the words of Romans 8. Because <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's heavy language, but the actual content of it, I think, is pretty reasonable. So before we read the whole chapter as a whole and go into it, just as a, as a background. So um, this is like the climax, not only of chapters five through eight, but it's the climax of the whole letter so far. I don't know if it's the climax of the whole letter overall, but definitely so far, this will be the climax. Um, and what he is trying to give us now is he's talked about how were we stuck what was the problem? Where did the problem start? And he went through all of that, right? And he's saying, so if Christ is risen, Christosinisti, okay, then what does that mean to the believer in this whole story of our enslavement and our prison and our, and our estrangement from, from God? So we'll read the chapter and then... Um, we'll we'll get we'll get into the the nitty-gritty and then open it up to questions because i know this one might have some extra questions because it's hard okay in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit one god amen lord make us ready to pay thankfully our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses You guys didn't think I was going to do Our Father, did you? Um, <laughs> I forgot to do it at the beginning, so I threw it in. My bad. All right. Um, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, 
but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. If the spirit of God really dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship when we cry, Abba, Father. It is the spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning with labor and pains together until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for word, words. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the wordy part. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The grace of God the Father be with you all. Amen. So there's a lot there. So if we don't get through it today, that's okay. Um, we, we might, because I don't know how to talk about some of the stuff in here. So, um, St. Paul, we're going to just take it from the top, okay? So we'll take it piece by piece. So St. Paul is now clarifying with a lot more detail than he did in chapter 5 or in chapter 3 how the cross and the spirit achieve God's plan of his, of his great rescue mission. Okay, of his, of his coming down to save humanity from its predicament. And so just to go back to some of the analogies, I'm not going to use them right away, but so they're fresh in your mind. We used analogies of disease, right? We used analogies of these membership cards, we used analogy of being a prisoner of war. Okay, so this rescue mission is we're these prisoners of war because of sin. Okay, so there's a strong condemnation of sin throughout. And, and now he's going to a little bit more detail about, about how we got rescued. And what he's saying in this chapter is that all of the sin of Israel was kind of heaped up on this one person as a representative of Israel. That is the Lord. Okay? He is the new Adam. He is now the, the first fruits. And this is what our hymnology, like, I, I, I struggle with Holy Week because there's at least a billion things that could be talked about on any given day. It's really, really hard. Um, because if you look at the hymns, right, Fa'ith of Inf being the main one in my mind because I just love it, but also um, the, the hymn, This Is He, but also Taishori, this censor, is drawing our attention to this. There's an offering right, that there's a sin offering being made, and that when the sin was put onto the animal, when the sin was put on Christ himself, it became the scapegoat. It became, it became our scapegoat in the sense that it died instead of us, okay? So I'm using the word scapegoat wrong. Scapegoat was the goat that went away, but we went away because of this lamb that gets killed. Right? And so St. Paul is saying that here, that, that, that the Lord became the one on whom all sin was placed, and that in him was brought to annihilation the sin in the capital S way. Because we also talked about right, how there's the effect of sin on all of humanity, and then there's the effect of sin on me personally. Right? So St. Paul is saying that the sin as a whole that's being accomplished right now in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to also get into how do I deal with my dilemma of the last chapter of I want to do good and I can't, right? Of the sin, how it takes effect on me personally. And his answer to that is going to be the Holy Spirit, okay? And so he's, he's just keep in mind that don't divorce this chapter from everything that's being said because he's continuing his conversation about everything. This is not a standalone chapter. 
this is its actual content, right? So there is therefore now no condemnation. Condemnation being the opposite of justification, <laughs> okay? And so remember how in the first talk I was saying this one's complicated. We said that um, justification can mean liberation. It can be the mean making right. It can be mean making righteous. It can mean being acquitted. It carries all of those meanings. And so don't ever lose that because you're saying there's no condemnation. That word is so intentional. He's saying there can be no opposite to justification anymore in whatever sense justification can mean, right? We're no longer guilty. We're no longer bad. We're no longer at enmity. All of these things have a solution now in this person of, of our Lord. There's no condemnation. This is, his, this is the good news, right? This is what St. Paul is, was really excited to get to, of saying, guess what? Life doesn't suck for us anymore. Um, because now, in the person of, of Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Because the law of the spirit of life, no longer the, the law of the flesh that we talked about, um, the law of your, of your captor, is no longer in effect. Now you live in the law of the spirit. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Okay? So he's undoing what we read about in chapter 7. That's why I didn't want to answer when we were doing chapter 7. Because he presents the dilemma in chapter 7 of saying, so we're stuck, right? That I have this body of, of, of sin? Is that, is that what it is? And he's saying, nope. Um, all of that I just told you guys, I being St. Paul, not me. Um, all that I just told you guys, guess what? It's not an issue. Because now... You live in Christ Jesus, who has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, if you remain there, it's because you choose it. It's not because you're compelled to do it. Now it's because you choose it. So that's good news and scary news at the same time. Um, and so he's saying that this, this terrible news that had come as a result of Adam is completely reversed because humanity fell in the, in the fall. And humanity is risen with the resurrection, right? This is, this is the good news that he's proclaiming. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Um, I'm getting a comment. No, it's not missing from the translation. It depends on the manuscript using. So there's, I'm, I'm using these because they have the most um, ancient of, of, of manuscripts that, and they compare them all. But it's not that it's, it's, not that it's missing. Um, just for those who are following and wondering where some words are coming and, and, and going from. Um, sorry, I digress. So, okay, my mind is back. So he's saying that chapter 7 and 5 are being undone, okay, and that we're being resurrected through Christ. For God has done what the law we cannot flesh could not do. So, I lied, my brain wasn't back. So what Paul is now trying to say is that the sending of the Son, 
okay, the incarnation and the whole economy of salvation and the death and resurrection that we've just celebrated as a church, is that it dealt with, with sin, capital S sin and small s sin, and condemned it. In part, because the Lord incarnate did not sin. And I say in part because I think in, in, in our times, we kind of overemphasize that point a little bit too much, I think, sometimes, um, and make it about, about the, the legal issue. There is a legality thing going on on some level. It's just not that it's all that. Um, but that, that part of it was that. But that his death is doing something two big things. Okay? First is that the sinless one died as a sacrifice for the sinful. Okay, so he's dealing with the, the big sin problem. Okay, so he, that, that is accomplishing Christ's death. We don't deny that. But in addition to this, is that in Christ's death, God defeated capital S sin and disabled it so that anyone who's empowered now by the Holy Spirit can now fulfill the just requirement of the law. What does that mean? Because of the Holy Spirit, you can now be faithful to the covenant, even as the Son accomplished in the flesh. You can now. You can be perfected. Okay? And what it's done for us is that now, if I fall short of the covenant, there's a solution. There's a once and for all solution. I'm not needing to do some kind of, of legal thing. The law prescribed legal ramifications. And St. Paul is saying, no more, right? Now the spirit is here. You're not subject to these legal issues that you were before because you have an advocate. You have a lawyer, the spirit of truth, right? And now you have one who makes you right. So, the law itself, okay, it couldn't deliver life, okay? So we, we use the analogies before of these are like the guidelines in health, right? We use the, the analogies of, of like, here's the health manual or here's the car manual. And what the manual would tell you is, what does it look like when it's right? But the manual, like we said, couldn't make you right. It just told you what rightness is. God did the making right, okay? That restored our, 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 our status with God. We became reconciled. So the purpose of, of Christ's death then, why, why am I bothering to mention that, is that it's not just about forgiveness. Right? If, we, if we talk about Great Friday, because if you ask most Christians, what's the big deal about God? Most of us will say, oh, Jesus is so nice. He's loving. He died. He saved me from my sins. That's true. I'm not, I'm not denying that. Neither is St. Paul. He did. He did do all of that. But we are missing out if we make it just about that. Okay? Because what St. Paul is saying here is that, no, this is not just forgiveness. This is empowerment. This is transformation, right? This is what Ezekiel and Jeremiah promised, 
right? They said God is coming and he's writing a new covenant on your fleshly hearts, not on your rock hearts, on your stony hearts. He said that I am going to live in you. I will speak to you directly. You won't need to wait anymore for a prophet to come and tell you, behold the Lord, because I myself will abide in you and will speak to you, my own spirit. This is the great news that St. Paul's talking about. This is a historic moment in the whole history of the cosmos. It's, it's, not, it's not a small thing. Um, we have been restored to life. Okay? And so this section is important because, again, if you look at chapter 8 by itself, this chapter is so misused. Where if you look at verse 1 to, to where we're at so far, verse 4-ish, 5-ish, it's easy to be like, oh, I don't need to do anything anymore. No one can call me guilty because they're misunderstanding what St. Paul means by that, right? So if I were to just take it at face value, like, oh, I'm not guilty anymore, uh, then you have no right to judge me. Who do you think you are, etc. But if you're saying that, then you're actually falling into the two questions that St. Paul asked rhetorically in chapter 6. You're saying, should I or could I do whatever I want? And to which St. Paul re re replied with, absolutely not, um, and says, that's not the point, right? The Torah, okay, the law, made sin take hold. And we talked about why that was before, so I'm not going to go over all that again. But it showed the power of sin, and it multiplied sin by making us know about it. But now it's being condemned in one place, the Messiah. So the, to use our, our, our analogy from before of saying we were, we were born in poverty because my, my dad messed up financially, okay, my dad being Adam here, is that now what we're saying is, okay, this money, this debt that we all own, that we, were, we have because we were born in, in, in poverty, all of that debt is now transferred into one person, okay? so that the whole collective debt can be abolished. I'm, I'm scared about using the word debt because of the big fights about the word debt right now and about what debt means. Um, just don't over extrapolate what I am or am saying. Um, I'm just saying that in that analogy, that's what's happened. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. If you want to reframe the debt, just sorry to digress for a second, because there are some fathers who have said this. I know that my bishop uses this and I love it. Um, in a sense, the debt of humanity, because there is a debt, like there's, there's, there's no denying the biblical language of debt, but in a sense that the debt is righteousness, right? If there is a debt to the father, it's righteousness. Um, and we weren't able to fulfill even that. So regardless of how you view debt, we didn't pay it, right? We weren't able to, to do it, right? And so in Christ, it is all fulfilled. He was able to be righteous. Um, the Messiah, our Lord, has borne in himself the condemnation of sin, okay? such that the people are no longer standing in condemnation. So to return to the previous analogies, if we're born in debt, we're not in debt anymore. If we're born as prisoners of war, we've been liberated. 
And we're liberated in such a way that the laws of our captor, I'm freed from it. Okay, I'm not, I don't live under occupation anymore. I don't have to pay tax to the governor. I don't have to follow their codes and rules. I'm liberated, okay? Or the enzymes that we lacked when we were talking about sacrifice because I couldn't do it. I, my body was missing the enzymes. I have them now, okay? Now I can do all of these things. So Paul's point here is that whether the law brings life or death now depends on what's written in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Now it's about, is health a thing to you? Is that real to you? Or do you want it to be these external rules of guidelines and protocols? That's what St. Paul is putting forth as a challenge now. If you're in the spirit, you're going to already not do things that are messed up because you, you, you can't. Absolutely not, as he says. Um, but if you want, you can still go back to the law. He's saying that's, that's up to you. Um, this is why redemption um, is not merely a transaction, okay, in a Christian understanding. Right? So the purpose of death was not just to satisfy a necessity for death. Okay? There's, there's, there is something going for the death thing. I'm not trying to completely um, annihilate that. I'm, I'm trying to be careful of my words because I know how much controversy there is about a lot of these things. But it's more than that. God's saving of us was so that we can live as we are meant to live. It was not just to fix a specific mistake. So God did not come to just say, Adam screwed up, Adam messed up, Adam made a mistake. I'm coming to just fix Adam's mistake. No, it's much bigger than this, right? It's saying, I'm here to restore you, to make you as you were meant to actually be. Um, so he's fixing that mistake and its consequences and giving us the tools that we need to continue to live the way that we were meant to live. This was the rescue plan all along, right? This wasn't a fluke. It wasn't an accident. Um, so what he's about to get into now is to say, now, unlike before, okay, chapter six and seven, the master ruling from within you, it's not death anymore. Now it's the triune God. Okay, now, if you enter into the covenant of faithfulness, you have the Holy Trinity. And he'll speak specifically in the section that we're about to read now, we're going to read 5 through 14. Um, he'll speak specifically here um, interchangeably between the Logos and the Spirit, because they're clearly both living in you. Um, he's not interchanging who they are, but he's talking about the same effect of both, of both living um, within us. And watch what he says characterizes someone living by this new master, namely God. Okay? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. And those who are in the flesh can't please God. But you're not in the flesh. I'm paraphrasing now, okay? You're in the spirit. If the spirit of God is really in you, anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. The spirit, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Okay. What's he saying? He's saying now we live in the spirit. This is the fruit of the reconciliation. We're not born into resurrection. Sorry, we're now born into resurrection as opposed to being born into death. So he's stating an obvious that people struggle with today when they're talking about this theology of saying, but we still die. And St. Paul's like, yeah, <laughs> of course you do, right? You still live in flesh. Flesh will die. But do you live according to the flesh? And that's why he's, he's, he's stating something that should be obvious, but I don't know that it's obvious. When he says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their mind on the flesh. And then he says, to set the mind on the flesh is death. You don't need to... Um, you don't need to have a crazy meditation to understand what he means by that. He means exactly the obvious. If your mind is on material, material dies. If you live according to material, then you are now governed by material and material dies. It's so simple. It's very deep, but it's very simple. Right. In the sense that if you put your mind on a thing that actually by its very nature dies, you have submitted yourself to the rule of death. I really hope that you guys meditate on that. Like it's I don't know how to say it. Like like Paul said it right. That if, if, if that's where your mind's at. Reflect what governs you. If you're living to the body, the body will die. And that's why the resurrection is everything, right? Living in the resurrection is how we fight against sin, okay? So the flesh is this, it's material, okay? That's your flesh, right? There's a spiritual body, that's not flesh, that's soma, not sarks to get all super sophisticated on you all, okay? But the flesh dies. But if you live according to the spirit, the spirit by its nature is not mortal, right? It, it's a completely different thing. And that's why saying live in the spirit, live in the resurrection, that's how to fight against sin. If you read this section carefully, take into, into account what's been said in this chapter, then you'll see we're still susceptible to death. We are still susceptible to sin. 
And we have warring within us the law of death, the law of the flesh, and the law of life. That is spiritual warfare. So if you say, well, then what's the big deal? Like, if I can still sin and die. Well, this is the hallelujah of Romans 8. Is he saying, yes, there's a solution. Right? He's saying it's not a dilemma anymore. It was a dilemma before. We were all stuck. We were prisoners of war. There was no solution. As long as we were prisoners to this master, we had to listen to that master. And none of us could free ourselves from the master. And he's saying, glory to God, you are liberated. You have a solution, always, permanently, forever. If you enter that covenant, okay? Um, we were owned by death before. There was nothing we could do, and now that's not the case. We live according to the Spirit. We trample down death daily, right? As St. Paul says elsewhere, I die daily. Um, that's why he says, although your bodies are dead because of sin, in verse 10, he's not pretending you don't sin anymore. And that's why he acknowledges if you live according to the flesh that, that you're screwed up. So the new life is now animated or made alive by Christ's own power and presence, which we experience through his giving to us of the spirit of God and of Christ, which he says in, in this section we just read. So he speaks interchangeably, as, as I said before, both Christ and the spirit. Um, but now what he's done is he's replaced capital S sin as the believer, the individual, and the whole church's ruling force and replaced it now with Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so now the church um, and all believers are constantly enveloped in and possessed by the Holy Spirit, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who brings Christ, who brings the Father. So what does that paragraph look like? It's saying that there's work to do for this to be a reality. Okay? It's, it's saying that you're prisoners of war in your last land. Now you have your own land. You've been liberated. But you can still lose your land. You can damage your land. You can decide to do nothing about your land. If so, you may die to your enemy coming to take you again. That's a possibility if you don't defend your land. Or you might just die, a natural death having done nothing. Or you might get sick. There's a whole bunch of possibilities. But he's saying there's work. You can't just say, and that's another thing, because Romans 8 gets abused. You can't just say, praise God, hallelujah, Jesus, I'm saved, Magdalene, hallelujah, and all, whatever, right? And, and, and act like the work is done. It ain't done, right? St. Paul is not saying it's done. He's saying we have victory and we have a guarantee of victory if we remain faithful. Um, if you choose your new place as your new home, he's also saying, he doesn't stop at just at yourself, you have help. 
you have a beautiful thing. It's like coming off of a slave ship to the new land, okay? And, and asking, what will you do with it? Okay? Like, imagine, like, I mean, it's not hard to imagine slave ships because that actually happened historically. But let's pretend that these ships of slaves, instead of coming to a place that's enslaving them, they came to an uninhabited land, right? Or to a new land and said, you're free, right? Then that's, what, what do you want to do with this freedom? What will you do with it? If you live according to your mood, you'll get nowhere. No, no, most people don't feel all the time like doing work. But if you do the work, it's rewarding. So life in the spirit requires your work. That is what we call synergy. And I don't mean it in the seven habits of highly effective people manner. Okay, I mean it in the sense of this is how my work coupled with God's work makes one plus one potentially equal infinity. Even though I only ever absolute value offer one, right? But it's that I have to offer it. I have to do the work. The spirit doesn't take over you and function instead of you, okay? Instead, it cooperates with you. Where do you think the gifts of the spirit come from? It's not a lottery. It's not a lottery, right? God doesn't sit there and be like, hmm, healing, prophecy, understanding, compassion, like, okay, roll the dice. Holy Spirit, what are you thinking? No, right? This is the consequence of synergy. So this chapter is saying you want resurrection? Live resurrection. Live according to the Spirit. That's what spiritual life is. Everyone talks about spiritual life. Forgive me, I'm getting heated. But people talk about spiritual life as this, like, this object that exists out there, right? And that's why you can go to the spirituality section and be like, how do I get in touch with myself? Um, and how do I come to accept me as a human being? And, and, and um, that guy is just so in touch with his feelings. And I'm, you know, like I'm totally spiritual, but not religious, you know? Um, all these really weird things that we, that we say. That's, that's not spiritual life. The spiritual life is you have a thing called the spirit. It is meant to be in communion with the Holy Spirit. And how you take care of your spirit is going to determine the measure of health that you have. It's not a coincidence that people are more joyful when they're nicer and less selfish. It's not an accident. It's because they're healthier, even if they don't even realize why. But when I work with the Holy Spirit, right? When I work towards health, when I fight against the law of the flesh for the law of the Spirit, then my master, life, gives me everything that I need to have life and to give life to the community.
this one of the sawah that I that I know that I I'm sure I've talked to you guys a lot about. I asked stories from his uh, sidekick because um, I mean he serves now. Um, his sidekick God reposed his soul. His sidekick was a saint unto himself. But um, I was like, what was it going to like? as a monk at the beginning, because this, this, this Sawah has been a monk since 1955. Um, and he was like, oh, that rascal. He was like, he would be in his cell, reading the Bible and praying Psalms. So Sawah has a spirit born. He has a gift of the spirit that he can just be taken by the spirit to other places. Um, yes, that's a real thing. And so he was like, Abuna would be reading the Bible and he'd be reading it out loud and probably to help himself not fall asleep, not to get tired. And he goes, but whenever I'd come near his cell and he'd hear someone walking, he would stop right away. Um, and he, and if I called out to him, he'd pretend he was doing something else. Um, and, and he, and he'd be like, and I would tell him, I was like, yeah, Buna, I know what you're doing. And he was like, doing what he uses Arabic expressions that just like uh, like I'm doing I'm, I'm doing nothing um, he's like I'm, I'm making food um, but I'm, I'm saying it to say this guy who eventually has this gift of exorcism and being spirit born this guy had crazy discipline not just of reading the Bible that's that's just one example right but I look at him for example and whenever I visit him I look at how he has given up his life in a way that I could never do. If I had lineups of a hundred and hundreds, if not thousands a day of people coming up to me to just talk at me and ask me like to tell them whatever it is that I want to, they want to hear, tell me I'm going to have a baby. Tell me I'm going to get into med school. Tell me I'm going to be healed. Tell me it's all going to be all right. And I have these two or three people hoarding over me, telling me when I can go to the bathroom and when I can do this and when I can do that. I go psycho. Like there's no way I can tolerate. And yet with total peace, just sits there. God be with you. I'll pray for you. The mother of light, our lady, the virgin be with you. Right. There's people are not born in a, in a, in a, in a vacuum, literally, he has to like ask to go to the bathroom so that they can let him go just for five minutes to go. That's work. Pokrolos, okay, he's, he's a big deal, right? And he's gained a lot more notoriety lately. Pokrolos barely slept, barely slept for the majority of his life. Not for like a year or two, not for a month or two, not for great Lent. Right? He barely slept. Why? Because he was serving people day and night, speaking to his creator day and night for, on behalf of, in the name of his people and himself. Right? That he was in a disposition always of doing that. That's why those of you who have read the, the book by Buna Daniel Finus, if you haven't read it yet, please like get it. It's amazing. But it was remarkable to see that in those four hours that he's in his cell, part of those four hours are spent writing letters. So even those four hours that he actually was physically in his cell for, we have no idea how many hours of those he even slept. 
right? Because he was always at the mercy of the people. That's why Pope Krulus was clairvoyant and exorcist and, 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 and a whole host of other gifts. Right? Life of the spirit means denial of the flesh. That's why I don't know how to talk about it much because I don't do that. I'm guilty. Okay? But if you want to know why your spiritual life isn't strong, like mine is not strong, it's because we never say no to ourselves. It's because we live according to the flesh. We don't live according to the spirit. And that's what St. Paul is saying. He's saying, this is amazing news if you do it. And if you do it, then you find out what it means to live Christos Anisti, not just to say it. And you will see the power that you receive in him. This is the reason why when St. Anthony, the best saint of all time, um, when demons came to him, right, is that St. Anthony didn't look at them and be like, yo, check it, I got this, Christos Anisti, right? No. Right, St. Anthony looked at them and said, I'm a little confused about why you're making such a big hoopla. Because I'm actually weaker than the weakest of you. He knew himself, right? So he's saying, so if, if you're coming at me, I lost. My Christ, who is risen, oh, you can't stand before that guy. <laughs> right? That's why when St. Anthony gave the, um, the, his, his, his long homily on spiritual warfare, he is the first that we have in writing saying to us, do the sign of the cross. Use the sign of that victory um, to, to fight. So we have to learn how to let the law of the spirit dominate over the law of the flesh. That is what asceticism is. Asceticism is not for monks and nuns and celibates. Asceticism is for every living being on the planet. It's to bring your body under subjection. It's saying, give it what it needs. Don't pamper it. So that the spirit can take root, right? If you want, I'm sorry that I'm digressing so long on this part, but it's just, it's, a, it's an important part, right? Is that your question for anything you do should be, what does the spirit say? That should be your governing question. If you don't have Matthew 5 through 7 plastered on your hearts, you don't know the law of the spirit, right? For the miserable few who I hardly communicate with who confess with me, all of them have a rule of Matthew 5 through 7 every single week in some form or another. Because if we don't know the gospel, we will never live the gospel. Right? So that when you're in the position where someone's coming at you and totally losing it on you, that you're not, you're, if you want to live according to the flesh, you can own that guy. Right? How's this any of your business, part of my language? Right? Who do you think you are? Why do you think, well, I can, I can, I can say all of those things. Or I can come back and say, what is the law of the spirit? 
okay, blessed are you when they speak evil of you, no problem. Okay, if someone sues you for your outer garment, give them the outer garment and the inner garment. That's the law of the spirit. And if I live in the law of the spirit, then the fruits of the resurrection are not this future realm business that so many of us are in, right? So many of us talk about, about resurrection like it's this thing later, right? And that this life with God is this thing that happens when I die. And so then you, people ask you, why do you behave the way you do? Because when I die, I want to go to heaven. Okay, I mean, that's boring. Like, that's, that's sorry, like that's a crappy deal. Right, that, that's asking for a lot more faith than we're asked for. Because <laughs> Christ is like, I'll show you now. I'll show you now. If you want it now, I'll show it to you now. Right, the kingdom of heaven is initiated, it's inaugurated, it's begun. And you can live in the kingdom of the spirit right now already. Enter in. And that's why St. Paul says, if you don't have the spirit, you are not gods. That's why this chapter has caused all sorts of theological wars about how we view other churches. I'm not going to get into those at all, but just saying it is monumentally important. We have to live according to the Spirit. What does that mean for you? Cooperate with the Spirit. Do you know what the Spirit is about? If not, how do you desire to live according to the Spirit? Like if someone were to just come to you and be like, do you live according to the Spirit? Or do you want to? I think it would be most of us like, yeah, 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 of course. But then my question is, have you ever stopped and asked what that is? Because if you didn't, then how did you know, how do you know how you're living? We have to live purposefully. Actively oppose sin. Verse 15. Um, I'll do one more section and then I think we'll stop. It's already been an hour and I don't, it's, there's a lot. So I'll, we'll do the rest of eight next week, but we'll do this next section and then, because um, it's a little bit longer, and then we'll do verse 18 on next time. Because um, I just, I don't want anyone to be bored out of their minds because you might be already, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It is the spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit, the synergy, capital S spirit with, with small s spirit, the spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering is always in Paul. Even when he's making the most joyful proclamation, it's called the suffering. So believers are those who have received and who are now led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who marks us out as people who are liberated from slavery and fear, and now we become members of God's family by adoption. 
Now, this adoption thing meant a lot more in their culture than it does even today. Because the Roman custom of adoption, um, it, if a Roman adopted somebody, they immediately became full heirs of their adopted father's estate. Okay, because that was a big deal in Roman times, right? Who The inheritance and, and your family name, your lineage and, and all of that, your inheritance, that was everything. Okay, so he's saying that in, in using the word adoption, he's saying by being adopted by God, you are a full inheritor of the dignity of the household and the name of God. That's huge. Right? This is, we're not talking about a teddy bear in the sky. We're talking about the creator of the universe saying, you can have all that is mine, my son, my daughter. Okay? Um, and so in Jewish tradition, being God's sons or children, that meant intimacy with God. So the Jews took it further. It also meant inheritance and it also meant intimacy for them. Okay? So in all senses, we're getting the land now and later, the relationship. We're getting everything um, through this. This is the restoration of our, of our, our dignity as children. You know, humans... Humans ask the question, forgive me for, for, for going like to this, because I don't, I don't know if any of you are, are adopted. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there, okay? But hu humans ask the question if a parent can love an adopted child or another child as one's own. Our God didn't bear us naturally. That's a fact. The only natural son to the father is the Lord. Okay? But his rescue mission was the death of himself, of his natural son, in order to unite to himself again this adopted child. His adopted child ran away. And the Lord chases him to come back and says, this is what Abba Father means, call me Daddy. Call me Baba. Call me Dada, as babies would say. That is what it means, literally. Abba is, is not a, a formal term, term. It's become a formal term. It wasn't. It's a very colloquial term. Right? And so... He's saying, call me Baba, call me Dada, call me Daddy. What I have is yours. There is nothing I withhold from you. Not my name, not my life, not my existence, not my wealth. All that's mine is yours. As his natural son said in Gethsemane to his natural father, of saying what's yours, father, is mine, now he says to us. And what's mine is yours. I share it with you. No Jewish prayers ever called the Father Abba. That's a uniquely new Christian thing. It was not in any 
of the Old Testament prayers. Or even, even, even their traditional ones that are not found in, in the writings. So Paul is, 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 is bringing us back to the idea of the Exodus. Okay? That we were slaves in the land of Egypt, and he's saying, now you're liberated. Don't go back to slavery. Right? You're liberated. Christos anesti. Right? And now here's our new Exodus, that we've been liberated, we've been adopted as his children, um, and we're his. Now, remember that this, is, this means something more, because slaves, I know we've talked about this a lot in other talks, slaves, um, they had no identity except in their master, right? We talked about that recently. But slaves in Roman antiquity were a member of the household. Like when you would say who is a member of your household, you would name your family and then you would also name slaves because they took their meaning in you. So St. Paul is saying you've had a status change, right? You're no longer slave, you're son, right? And he's saying, so if son, live it, right? Be, be a son or daughter. Um, so let me see what to skip here and I'll skip. So said in a, in a different way, your legitimate status in Christ, in the Father, in the Spirit, is found uniquely and explicitly through your baptism. Because again, this is not a chapter by itself. Your baptism made you a member of that household. And you should use your sonship or daughtership. That is the expression of freedom for you. And that now your freedom should be tied to the welfare of your family. You can no longer think of yourself as just an individual. You now also have to think of the whole household because you joined a family. You didn't join your own house of one. You joined the house of the Trinity with all of creation that has chosen to live in covenant with him. That's epic. Okay, that's, that's monumentally epic. And so you, your attitude as a Christian should correspond to the status that you now enjoy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use uh, analogies that I know might not be appropriate in, in our modern society. I, I don't care because I, I don't mean them offensively. I mean them the opposite. Right? Think of black people post civil rights like time. Think of what a black person after being told to sit at the back of the bus for all of those years. The day that they were allowed to sit at the front of the bus. Can you imagine what that felt like? Right? Where it's like, no, I am sitting at the front. I'm going, I want to sit at the front. I can sit at the back. That's up to me. It's my choice. I'm sitting at the front because I want to make a point to the, 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 the tyrants before me. I have victory. I have received my rights. This is what St. Paul is begging you to do. 
He's saying, if you've been liberated, what is wrong with you, man? Why do you want to live like a slave? Right? Like, live to this dignity that you just received is what he's, he's imploring us to do. Right? And he, and he qualifies it by saying, to share in this dignity of his means sharing in his sufferings. Because if we're family, we go through everything together. And so the spirit has made us into this new thing. I'm going to end it there because it's been an hour tenish um, on that. So we'll pick up, um, and I see that there are a few questions. Um, we'll pick up from verse 18, if I remember, next time. And then we'll probably get into, actually, okay, I can finish eight because I'm looking at the notes that I have probably in 10 to 15 minutes. Do you prefer to finish eight today and start nine next time? Or would you guys rather, I just don't know how bored out of your minds you might be. Um, those whose cameras I can see, nod if you want to continue, um, shake your head if you'd rather pick up next week. Okay. I haven't seen David Freed in forever. Hi, David. Okay. We'll plow through it. Um, so what, what's happened is that the Holy Spirit, who we, we don't talk about enough in, um, in, the, in most churches today. Um, I think the Pentecostals were onto something when they first started. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel today, but when they first started, um, I think there was something to be said there. The Spirit leads the Messiah's people. That's what we saw in verse 12 through 14, to the inheritance, which is the renewed and reborn creation itself. We are now sons, as, 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 as we just said. So this is clear, like, like the, the most joyful things. So now what St. Paul is doing in this, this section that we're about to get into now is he's putting the suffering of believers, and this is so important, because so many people read, again, Romans so personally. This is said in the context of the, of the whole of creation. Paul is putting the suffering of believers into the larger context of the suffering of the entire creation and the hope of future salvation. Okay? So he's, 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 he's told the story of the universe in a really dramatic sequence. Right? He's talked about human sin. Then he talked about creation subjection to decay and death. Then he went into the present believer's experience of the spirit in the midst of suffering. Okay. And then we're going to get to the glorification and salvation, liberation and salvation of the whole universe. And that's, that's coming. So, so Paul is saying that life in the spirit, life in Christ are the same. Life as God's children is a life of suffering. But not a dismal suffering. Okay. Um, and what he's about to get into is that that suffering can never separate us from the love of God. Okay. So credit for the victory um, belongs to the spirit in this chapter um, where 
Paul brings in the Holy Spirit almost out of nowhere, right? Like he's talked about the whole economy of salvation. He's been speaking with the Father and the Son from, from chapters one through seven, right? And then out of nowhere, he's like, boom, now you've got this Spirit, right? And this is what the Spirit does to you. Um, and now the Spirit is center stage. Um, so the, the, the two things that the Holy Spirit does, the first is what we've just dealt with was one through 17, Okay. And that's the spirit acting as our advocate in the life of believers who struggle with the flesh. And I see that there's questions about the flesh. We'll come to it. Um, and then this next section um, is the completion of salvation and the transformation of believers into the image of God's son. Okay. So I will plow through. Um, I can, and I'm going to paraphrase St. Paul to the best of my ability. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. So he's saying whatever sufferings we have right now, they're nothing compared to the glory that we're going to see. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility. That means the creation wasn't able to be what it was supposed to be. It was futile, right? Trying to be what we were was futile, we weren't able to keep up with the law, is what he's trying to say. Or not trying, is what he's saying. Not of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. Um, okay, so we know that the whole creation has been groaning with labor pains together until now. So again, he's talking about this is the groaning, the suffering of everyone, okay? That we've all been groaning until now. And not only the creation, right? Not just the earth, the cosmos, the universe, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Because remember what we talked about two weeks ago is that salvation has been initiated but not completed. We still are waiting for our resurrection, right? So he's saying we're groaning to be out of this flesh, right? And to be fully liberated in the day of resurrection. For in this hope we were saved. Right? He's saying that's the part that's still to come. And he, and he gets a little rhetorical. He's like, how do you hope for something that you see? Right? It's, it's hope because it's not happened yet. Right? This resurrection. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for with patience. So Paul's saying the suffering is a big deal, um, especially because Christ suffered prior to his glorification. So life in the spirit the spirit of Christ, therefore means not the absence of suffering, contrary to prosperity gospel, but instead, um, it is a necessary part of existence. And so Paul is saying that this age of suffering that we're in right now, those are labor pains. Okay, he's saying that this suffering that we're going through right now is labor. I don't know what that's like because I haven't gone through labor. I heard it's pretty bad, especially if you don't have an epidural. Um, and so it's comforting, I think, for us to, to hear Paul say, this hurts like heck, <laughs> right? That like he's not shying from that. Um, but he intentionally is calling it, bless you, Dina, um, but he's intentionally calling it um, labor pains so that we know that there is a very joyous event that ends the pain. 
and that makes the pain glorious, right? Because life emerges, right? Not, not death, not, not desperation. So in the suffering, Paul talks the context of all. And just like there's individual sin and general sin, there's individual suffering and there's collective suffering. And here we see that the spirit groans with us, not at us. Okay? The Holy Spirit is not groaning at us. It is groaning with us. It wants us to be liberated. And the work of salvation is very clearly seen here as something not yet finished. And so we're living in hope. But, Paul's saying, not an unfounded hope, because Christos anesti. Right? We, our hope would be based on nothing if Christ was not risen. But because Christ is risen, this is why we have hope. If he was not risen, as he says in Corinthians, then of all people we are most miserable. Because our suffering is useless and meaningless and without any direction. How do we know we got the resurrection promised to us? Because this is what he's talking about. We got the first thing promised to us from the resurrection. The Lord said, It is needful that I leave with you so that when I have gone, you will receive another comforter whom the Father will send in my name. The first promise of the resurrection, I never really paid attention to that till preparing for this week, to be honest with you was the Holy Spirit. That one of the first, the, the pledge, right? The, the, the pledge, the earnest, to use the, the King James, of the Spirit, it's a promise. That's what we received. We got it. So that you even have this Spirit is a fruit of real resurrection, just not ours yet. We spend so much time talking about Great Friday sometimes, and, and, and well so. I, I think that's a good thing. But I think sometimes we spend so much time on it that we forget the work is still in progress. The earnest of the Spirit, the pledge of the Spirit, was a resurrection promise. And that it's not finished, the work, is why we're groaning. Right? So as long as we're living in the mortal world, there will be suffering, decaying, and death. That's a guarantee. We're in the world of, of becomes, things that are made, things that die. We're in the world of corruptibility. Um, this chapter, I, I actually thought of August, Augustine a lot. Um, there's, um, if you read um, Augustine's Confessions, I really don't like them. They're, it's a good book. I just, I, he's, I don't know, he's, I'm not going to put my personal views, but um, his personality and me, I don't think we would like, we'd have been friends from a distance if we lived at the same time. We would have met for like Shay and then went our separate ways. But if I had a problem, I wouldn't be able to talk to him. Um, but one of the things that brings Augustine to Christ is his reflection on corruption. Not on how bad the world has become, that's not what he means. But of saying, Anything that can become worse, anything that can decay, can't be the best thing. And that made him reflect on himself. He's like, I'm living for money, sex, and he says that. I'm living for, for I'm living it up. But 
these things can't be the greatest good because they they die or they can be corrupted they can rust so it can't be the best thing if it can rust a better thing would be something that can't rust right and so it's amazing to me how that concept of corruptibility is what brought him to God. And it's exactly what St. Paul is talking about. He's saying this world is about corruptibility. That's if you live for it, that's what it is. And anything that gets worse is not a good thing. And so we can find ourselves in, our, in, in situations in this world that are just entirely wrong. Because the whole situation is just wrong. Right. And so there's no beauty in the wrong. And that's why we're in labor pains. We're dealing with the wrong that is in us and around us. So what's different in this gloriousness of joy that St. Paul is talking about is the existence of hope, the existence of help, the existence of the spirit. Okay, now pay close attention to the salvation that Paul's talking about, because it's not personal, it's cosmic. Therefore, he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the earnest of the Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, prays for us and with us. And I, I love this translation. Like it captures it. He says, it, 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 he, the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. How many of us have ever thought about the Holy Spirit doing that? I, I know only a couple of people that do. I, I didn't, right? But that the Spirit is advocating for you, literally. Praying for you, literally. Praying on your behalf, literally. Um, it's, 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 it's something else. I, that's something I, don't, I don't know how to talk about this stuff, right? Like the, 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 the beauty that's there is something else, Right? How, I, yeah, I, I can't comment on that. How many of us share on our lives, how many of us share, sorry, our lives with that spirit? How often do we work with the Holy Spirit? This is, this is the biggest deal in, 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 in like, that, that God lives in you. Do we, does that mean anything? Do we thank the spirit? Do we ask the spirit? Yet this is the work that the Spirit does without acknowledgement. The Spirit is the source of our life. The Spirit gives, gives, literally, it's the giver. The Spirit gives, and it gives knowledge, it gives gifts, and it gives skill. The Spirit alerts us, the Spirit warns us, the Spirit comforts us, the Spirit consoles us. The Spirit stirs us up to care for others. The Spirit is the voice telling you what to do, how to love, right? The Spirit rebukes us and brings us into a spirit of repentance. The Spirit uplifts us when we're hurt. 
The spirit gets excited at our successes, right? The, the spirit is the unsung of the Trinity. Like to forgive my language, I, I, I struggle, but we, 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 we don't enough emphasize the Holy Spirit, right? On the day of Pentecost is one of the few times where we actually stand and we pray and direct our prayers in, liturgically as a, as, a, as a commune towards the Holy Spirit. We do daily in the, in the third hour. Um, but it might be something to think about more, directing more prayers in your personal prayer life at the Holy Spirit, right? And I can tell you that if you live in community with the Spirit, I'm not going to digress again, but that was the whole spiel earlier. The Holy Spirit, God, will interact with you so really and holy and with a W and transformatively, right? Where it's, it's, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit does for the whole of creation and for individuals, right? Where the Holy Spirit will, will work incredible wonders for the sake of one soul and, and, and change sometimes the course of, of time for people. Verse 28, we know that in everything, God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is one of the most highly quoted verses of the New Testament. And I think also one of the most wrongly used verses of the New Testament. This is not a prosperity gospel message. Okay. And I'm not taking shots at any individuals. I mean, the prosperity gospel, meaning if I'm with Jesus, I get rich. Everything is good. Everything goes my way. I get the job. I get into med school. I get on the team. I, whatever I want, right? That's, that's how a lot of people use this. But this verse, if we're reading carefully, is in the context of the cosmic good, of the eschatological end times, fixing of everything. And it can also be read as God works good for those who love him, meaning he can take any evil of the world, all the groaning that we just read about, in which we groan about and turn and, 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 and get upset about, and he can turn it into something for the cosmological good, okay? Toward how we were made to be. So, we don't have Eucharist right now, right? I'm just going to use that as an example. We are under house arrest. To, to, to use this verse in St. Paul's meaning of it, okay, is that what St. Paul is saying, God can take even that wrong thing, right? So we're not pretending to call something good. He's saying, no, it's evil. And he can work it for the good of, of, of the whole church. He can use it for the good in your salvation somehow, right? Or for example, um, I'll just use random examples. I don't have any human being in my mind. Someone gets pregnant, they're 15, right? And we would say, okay, that was probably not a good thing. There was fornication involved. Like, get all your sin books out and, 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 and write down their sins. Do whatever you want. Okay, so there is mess up. We're not going to pretend there was no wrong. But God is saying, 
I can work salvation through this. I'm not saying it was the right thing to happen. I'm saying I can work anything for this, for the whole. But it's not talking about your individual moments. Because that's where I think too many of us are, are, are using it. I'm not saying God can't do that to an individual moment. I'm simply saying that's not what's meant here. Okay, that we don't, so we don't use this thing in, in the wrong way. Um, what we should be doing is, is wanting it to work towards the cosmological good, towards how we were meant to be ontologically, how we were created, who our identity is. So we need to, our, our generation, our, our, our society, I'm, I'm guilty of it as much as everyone else, okay? We are all about ourselves and we treat our individual selves as the macrocosm. We view everything through the scope of self. So reread this verse and understand it with you as a microcosm. And that if you can understand that, then when we individualize the gospel, then we're not going to know how to make sense of this, right? We're going to make, we're going to make the gospel a personal issue. Whereas if I make the macrocosm, the big picture, then God's work for all of humanity can actually be attained and worked through in and through us. I won't, I won't spend too much longer on that. Verse 29. This is, this is a wordy part. It's actually not that heavy. It's just heavy language. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So, those who, because God is outside of time, God already knew existed, he already made in the image of his son. In order that he, his son being the Lord, would be the firstborn among many brethren. So he's saying, he's literally saying, the plan of redemption, the plan of the incarnation, is from before time. It's not something that happened by accident in history. So that the Lord would be the first among many brethren, us human beings his fellow human beings and those whom he predestined, he also called those who enter in through his son and those whom he called those who respond to his son. He has also justified. He has made right with God and those whom he justified. He also glorified that is in our resurrection. So the language here is of Israel's election now being applied to the family of Gentiles and Jews in Christ, because remember, that's what this whole epistle has been about. So Paul is not making a claim that certain individuals, rather than others, have been predestined to salvation. Okay? That was like a, a Renaissance mess up, where some people thought that was what was meant here. Instead, he's trying to identify the scope and the purpose and the dependability of God's call in Christ. He's not going there. That's not the conversation he's, he's having. He's creating a family of Christ-like siblings who already partially share in God's righteousness and glory, we will fully later, and that we were in the knowledge of God from before time. But not, uh, let me try and do this. So the foreknowing is referring to, just to, to, to simplify this, the foreknowing is referring to God's eternal purpose, the predestinating is referring to God's power 
to effect that purpose, okay, that I, I am shaping human history towards my son is what the predestination part of that means. Um, and then he's tying the past to the present. The past is what God foreknew. The present is us being called. Those whom he foreknew, he called. That's us today. And then the future is the, glor the glorification of the resurrection. It's, it's actually not as complicated as, as the English translation is from there. Last section and we're done. God bless you guys for putting up with me. What then shall we say to this? This is Paul after speaking so joyfully, excitedly, he finally calms down and just goes, and what do you say to that? If God is for us, who's against us? This is the power of Christosynesty. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Remember, charge here meaning the opposite of justification. Who can charge you? Who can lay the claim? No one. You're liberated. No one can accuse. You're not under anybody's ownership. No one can accuse you. That's how he started the chapter. He returns to it. It is God who justifies. It's God who makes right. Who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died? who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us, rhetorically? Yes, it is. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who can take away us from our dad? Who can now tear apart this relation of our fellow man and our God? The mystery, the beauty of the incarnation. Shall tribulation He's like, okay, yeah, we talked about suffering. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of sword? No. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the celebration of the unbreakable grasp of divine agape, of divine love, right? That God gave his son. And in giving us his son, he made all things that were not ours become ours. We are now kings and queens, right? We now are co-reigning with our God and no one can take that away. He's saying, look at our conqueror and hero. Is it possible that his works be undone? No. Is he here to tell us how bad we are for being prisoners of war? No. Is he here to charge us for all that we messed up with? No. It is he who made us right. It is he who has justified us. So if we are to go as the family of God, not as individuals, as the family of God, through war, famine, pestilence, famine, nakedness, 
Peril sword, we are victors. If we are faithful to him who conquered, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the salvific works of God. Nothing can stop him from loving us. So this is a battle cry. Okay, this is, this is whether Christosinisti is, you say it cute, or you say it with conviction, right? Of do you want to be part of the winning army? Do you want to be with the commander-in-chief who organized and executed the greatest mission in eternity? Gave up his life, rose from the dead, and came back to continue to lead you to the victorious ending of the eschatological moment of fullness, of unity and communion, communion with him, where there is no corruption, no death or dying. Do you want that? If yes, take it. He gives it to you. This is no longer the behold the man of Pilate, right, in Holy Week, of Christ crucified, covered in blood, of saying, look at the guy. This is behold our God, right? This is, this is St. Paul saying the greatest moment in history is ours. So to recap, because we're done, you are made right now through Christ. Through Adam, all men fell. Through sin, we were in enmity with God. We were captives to death. We were exiles from paradise. God established a covenant with us, but we were not faithful. Not as Gentiles, not as Jews. We, the people of God, forsook him. Yet, God remained faithful. God looked on our condition and in the fullness of time, what we celebrated all of Holy Week, God deigned to take on human flesh. He put on capital sin and death and slayed it in his flesh and the most faithful of faithful works of faithfulness. He loved us to the end, as he said in the garden, promising us the life in him, the life marked by the Spirit as the first fruits of our resurrection. And if we remain faithful, we too will resurrect to life, even as our Lord and comrade did. It is through our Jesus that we get to call the Father, Abba, Papa, Daddy. It is through his faithfulness that we have hope, that we have life. To quote St. Discourse again, truly our God is with us, like us, and for us. And glory to God forever, man. I'm so sorry that took me 20 minutes rather than 15. Um, uh, questions, okay. Let's scroll up to make sure I don't miss any. Uh, yeah, the, the, somebody was asking what I meant about the debate on debt, whether it was about inherent or original sin. Hey, Nick. Um, there is that debate. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. I know you're not asking me to go there, but there's debate about that. There's debate about like the role of death, whether there's a legal issue and, and all of that. This isn't, I don't want to go there because I think people have a tendency to zoom in on, on what they want to hear. And then, and then we all start talking at each other. Uh, answered that one already answered that one. Um, if we literally live in the flesh, how can you say no all the time? 
Um, that's, that's, I think that got answered, but maybe not directly. That's what asceticism is about, of saying, obeying first the law of the spirit and bringing the body under subjection. Because um, you can't not eat at all, right? You can't not do certain things of the, of the body. Um, how can we live a life denying the flesh being so rich? What does that even look like for those of us living in luxury and comfort? Is it relative? Um, it is a subjective objective, is what I'd like to call it. So number one, that's a great question. Um, that, that wasn't my number one, but it is a great question. But number one, to me, dealing with any situation starts off with question number one is, is there an objective teaching on this in the gospel? If there is, then that's, that's rule number one. Number two is the subjective objective, which is what do I objectively know about myself? And that, that it's about myself is how it's a little bit subjective. So, for example, um, I have X number of devices and I know that I love devices. Do I need to get another one? Should I get another one? Okay. Um, this one, some people might hate me for. Um, I tried to do this before my vow of poverty. Um, wasn't always good at it. But um, I really suggest that people look at their salaries and say, how much is enough? And live off of that. Right? Like so many people are just like, oh, I would give to the poor. It's just that I want to have enough for whatever it is. Right? Um, I really recommend you read, um, especially because your son is named after him. If you haven't already, read St. Basil on social justice. Um, because he, he goes through a lot of the excuses and comments that we make today about it. What I would say is define some kind of limit, which can be done with your spiritual father, it can be done with your husband or wife, it can be done in whatever way, but of saying, just because I can doesn't mean that I will. That's the governing spirit of asceticism, is that it's not just because I can that I will. And so you guys can practice that, all of us can practice that, right? Of saying, I could buy five, I'll eat two, I'll, I'll buy two. I could eat four, I'm gonna have two or one, right? I could speak my opinion, but I won't. So even when it comes to um, living in luxury and comfort, it's saying, do I need to get the softest pillow? Literally, metaphorically, figuratively, and literally. Do I need the softest pillow? Do I need the best bed set? Do I have to buy a brand new? Could I buy used, right? It's to also say, what is the purpose of everything that I do? Why am I buying this? What need is it trying to fill? Is it even a need or is it a want? So I think, I know that's not necessarily answering explicitly, but that's how I would think about it. Um, that if you're governed by those principles, I think you'll, you'll get some direction of, um, of where to go. And definitely take it back to your spiritual father, because I think sometimes we get really excited about doing aesthetical things and sometimes we might overdo it and get tired. Um, 
does St. Paul not say that we are slaves to God? Um, yes, he does. But St. Paul, so as he said, so slavery <laughs> meant finding your identity in your master. So St. Paul is saying, really, literally, we should see ourselves as slaves to God. But here he's saying, but God has made you not one. Right? God has made you son instead of slave. Um, good question, though. Um, and there was a lot of discussion on the slavery thing, because you mentioned that you missed uh, earlier talk on it. Um, you might want to go back to it, because we did spend a little bit of time on it. Um, I got one to be continued vote that I didn't see. I'm sorry, FMI, my bad. Um, I was recently told that the Holy Spirit does not dwell in us but with us i don't know what that person meant so i don't i don't want to get into what they might have meant because i don't know i am suspicious that what they are referring to is another debate because in this facebook generation apparently we think that we're all theologians that should debate everything all the time but I suspect that person might be referring to a debate that was occurring in recent years about whether or not I have the Holy Spirit hypostatically um, within me or not. Um, and I think that's most likely where that person's coming from. I'm not even going to bother going there um, because I just simply don't know enough. Um, all I can say is that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. How to define the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, I don't know. Legit, I don't know. Um, I have no idea. I just know that we really have the Holy Spirit because that's what the, not only the gospel says, that's what the baptismal rites say, and it's what the sacrament of confirmation of receiving the Holy Spirit says. So I can say that with boldness, um, but to define it further, I, I, don't, I don't know how. Um, Abuna Jay, if you know, please go for it, because I, I genuinely don't. Okay. Um, when we talk about lowercase spirit, what is its function or purpose in the mind, body, and soul? Um, so that's where, like there's two different philosophies. So you've written mind, body, and soul in you and what you're listing as the components of being small as spirit is probably mind. Um, but um, spirit is that thing in us that makes us in the image and likeness of God. It's what makes us rational. It's what gives us the attributes of God. It's what makes us not just another animal, right? Cause other animals have body and soul, um, whereas the spirit is what makes us uniquely um, human. Is there a difference between, and, and I'm not going further because some of the fathers, sorry, use the mind and the spirit interchangeably. Other fathers use soul and spirit interchangeably. And like, so the way that when I'm, when I'm speaking, just for this clarity, when I'm speaking of what I mean, body, you know what that is. Soul is the life of the body. So associated usually with like the blood um, to be very Old Testament about it. So it's what makes a living being physically alive as opposed to just matter on a table that's not alive. That's the soul. 
And then the spirit is the is the image and likeness. That's that's how I'm using it when I say it. Um, is there a difference between the spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit? The spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit, because we're not talking about actually in the way that you wrote this question, you 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 wrote it well because you wrote small s. So the small s spirit of Christ is his own human spirit. He had a real human spirit. Okay. But what St. Paul is talking about when he says the spirit of Christ is not his human spirit. He's talking about the, the, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who Christ said the Father sending in my name. So it's, it's Christ's spirit in, in, in that sense. So just to summarize that so there's no confusion. Christ, the, the Logos incarnate, had his own human spirit, period. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can be called the Spirit of Christ, capital S, Spirit of Christ, not small s. Uh, did I mean Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo? Yes, I did. I'm not um, being irreverent to him. I, not that you, you said that I was, just so everyone knows. Um, it's just cool to see um, people in their, in their human light. Um, what translation am I reading? I am reading the, uh, the, the RSV Second Catholic Edition. Um, how can the Holy Spirit be an intercessor and God at the same time? Um, economically, just like the Lord himself intercedes for us, right? That he, he is joining with us to do the work on our behalf, on behalf of us, which is what intercession is, right? It's doing something on behalf of. Um, and so... The Spirit is doing in our place and on our behalf and for our behalf many things that we just can't bring ourselves to do. Um, can you clarify what you mean by he, the Father, predestined his son, Jesus, to come to give us salvation? Does it imply he then knew that Adam was to sin and he created him? Yes. Just trying to understand why he would make us, make us if it meant he knew he would come. That's the beautiful question. So the first question, so, so the, the, the question goes on to say, just trying to understand why he would make us if it meant he knew he would come and have to suffer, die for us at the end. That, that is the beauty of the love of God, right? Like it's to say, look at what he did knowing what he would do. Um, but why then make the first covenant also if the end was for him to come and die for us? Because the first covenant was never ever meant to be an end to itself. The first covenant was never meant to be end game, ever. The first covenant was saying, be faithful to me and I'll work with you. It wasn't saying, be faithful to this and you are saved. The covenant of salvation is the new covenant, which was the eternal covenant, which is exactly what you're saying. Because that's what St. Paul was saying. This final covenant of salvation was always endgame. Um, um, my black background makes me eligible to be an MIB. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to find more questions. Okay, so there's another uh, request for a clarification of um, the predestination part. Um, just in simple language, because um, I know I said simply and then I didn't say it simply, um, but 
to try and actually say it a little bit more simply. All St. Paul is saying is that history was already working towards a moment that God was working. He predestinated his own incarnation. That's, that's all he's saying. It's saying that there was a destiny of incarnation. There really was always a plan for that moment. He predestined time in advance to go there. There was always going to be an incarnation. So that's who, what he's predestined, is that he predestined for his own children, which is all of us, the coming of his son. Um, If we now live in the spirit and through the spirit are completely free from sin and can live sinlessly, why do we say in the Vespers, no one is pure and have blemish, even though his life on earth be a single day? Why is the church saying we cannot live a day without sinning? Is this not countering what St. Paul is saying we're capable of? It's, it's the dilemma. Uh, the church is capturing the dilemma of chapter seven. Because St. Paul says chapter eight, but also says, but I, I keep sinning, man. So the church is saying, because keep in mind that the prayers are expressions of, of communication, of saying, even though you have made it possible for us to live sinlessly, we don't. Right? And so the church is saying, we are so desperately in need of you because we can't even do what we're supposed to be able to do in you. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very humbling prayer. That's why, like, it's, it's good for us. I know it's not what you were going, where you were going with it. It's good for us sometimes. I know some of the times we don't like those prayers. I know that sometimes I don't like those prayers. We hold on to stand for the just judge, frightened and terrified because of my many sins, and uh, who will stand. They're all very dismal and dark. But sometimes it's good to go back and look at it and say, but it, it, it's true. <laughs> it's true because I, I actually don't do anything that I should be or anything right. Um, uh, follow up to the mind, body, and soul spirit from the same person. So the father is referred to as the noose. Yes, and Amuna Joseph loves the noose. Um, <laughs> so definitely talk to Amuna Joe about noose. Um, when it says we don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, how can we achieve synergy with the Holy Spirit to be of the same Miller prayer? By living the life of the spirit. By living the life of the spirit. Um, like, this, this is where I, I, I can say I got a one-up on you guys, but not really. Um, like, priesthood. Um, priesthood has been a place where, because of the responsibility of priesthood, that's what I'm saying, one-up, but not really, because I'm not more righteous, and I don't have more access to the spirit than you do, okay? But because of the role, the spirit has been compelled sometimes more to intervene um, with certain things that, that I've been allowed to take a back seat on and, and watch. And, and that's why I'm saying with conviction, conviction, live with the spirit. Because if you do, the spirit does respond, right? And the spirit does give instruction and the spirit will tell you its own will, right? That's why, for example, 
when the apostles, we, I know I've already given this example before, but when they went on their whole Euro trip, right? They, they did their thing prayerfully, right? And then the Holy Spirit stepped in and said, don't go there. And another place says, go here, right? I can't remember which one happened where, but um, the Holy Spirit did step in and say, I'll tell you my will, right? Like, it's not like, like he remained in the back seat, right? The Holy Spirit did enter in and, 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 and say, no, 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 this one, right? Um, or for example, like Peter, this is where the preacher thing comes in, right? Where, um, uh, yeah, no Asia Minor, I think you went to Joe. Um, where, where Peter, the Holy Spirit in anticipation of Peter's personality shows Peter this whole vision, right, of the clean and unclean um, because Peter is, he knows Peter, right? Peter's going to be like, no, I won't do it. So live with this spirit um, and you will see, um, you'll see synergy practically as opposed to theoretically. I think there's only one more question. Um, and then I will end. Uh... Oh, it was what I actually just answered by accident. Uh, can you expand more on the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and interacting with us? Um, it's a simple fact on paper, but I have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that God is literally in me. It, it should be hard to wrap your mind around it because it's crazy. Like it's, it's, it's a crazy concept, right? That God humbles himself to live in man. That's unfathomable, right? But to live with the spirit, if you want to find the easiest way, and we said it earlier and I'll say it again, to live in the spirit, do the gospel, do the gospel. If you do the gospel, any deed you do in the name of Christ comes back to you a hundredfold and the Holy Spirit comes alive strongly with you. If sin is what quenches the spirit, righteousness is what kindles it. Right? If you do that, I, 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 can't, I can't teach it because I'm not there. I, I suck. But I have seen many and I've had tiny of my own experiences in my own life, if you live in it, you will see the Holy Spirit alive and at work, and you'll understand what the new covenant meant, what he meant when he said, you're not going to wait for someone to tell you. You'll still need guidance. I'm not pretending you need guidance, but you will know, and you will see the glory of God. To him be glory, honor, and majesty forever and ever to age of ages. Amen. Um, Matthew, because I just ended, can you hold that off for next uh, week, uh, that question? My bad. Um, and um, we'll just end with our Father. Like I said, please pray for me. This is, uh, I'm bald now. Um, please pray for me. This is like sick time for me. Um, so I really ask your special prayers and for the homeless, because there's a lot more of them out there right now getting nothing. Um, Otto peeps, uh, hit up Abuna Joe to ask how you can help. Um, cause there are people still doing the labor, not me. Name the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make us worthy to pray with all thanksgiving.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not temptation, but lead us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now the love of God the Father, grace will be God and Son, the communion and the gift of life with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Later, homies.